Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our show about earning a living independently, doing something you really care about. We have three guests joining us today. The first is Sarah Peck, founder of Startup Pregnant, which aims to radically rethink what parenting and working can and should look like. Sarah joined us last month on episode 346, where we talked about personal branding. Welcome back, Sarah. Woohoo! I'm glad to be here. Thank you. We also have another returning guest with us. Paul Jarvis is a designer, podcaster, online course teacher, and software creator. He's also the author of Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business. Paul, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, returning guest. I love it. And finally, we have a new guest with us today. Melissa Smith is founder and CEO of the Association for Virtual Assistants. She's also the author of Hire the Right Virtual Assistant, How the Right VA Will Make Your Life Easier, Create Time, and Make You More Money. Melissa, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here with uh, Paul and Sarah today. It was fun. Yes, awesome. Uh, I thought we would start off by maybe having a deeper discussion about something that I read on Paul Jarvis's blog recently. Paul, you said that work seems to have taken on an almost religious-like meaning where the ethos of happily grinding it out for most hours of most days is thought of as good and just, and that we've also set this expectation where we haven't really made it unless we have a meaningful, fulfilling job to do, and we just keep telling ourselves it's meaningful and fulfilling that it's then okay if it consumes most of our lives. So you were really trying to ask the question here, I think, um, do we have to love our work? What were you getting at there? Was there something behind this that caused you to kind of ask this question out loud? Um, too much deep thinking, usually how most of my articles come about. But I, th- I think a lot of it stems from it just feels kind of stressful to oh my goodness, am I following my passion? Is this the right passion? Like, if this isn't the right passion, then what am I doing with my life? And I just think that sometimes, like obviously that that's not always a bad thing, but I think it can lead to bad things and it can lead to feeling bad about ourselves if we're not doing that dream job. I don't even know what a dream job is. That's why I'm air quoting. What's a dream <laughs> job? I don't know. I might even have one, but I don't know. Um, and the other thing is that it kind of sets us up to kind of, I guess, I don't really know how to put it, but it kind of sets us up. It sets ourselves up to do more than we should a lot of times where we have to like hustle and rise and grind or whatever that the kids are saying on the socials where we just think that oh because I love my job this isn't really work so maybe I'll work 10 hours a day 16 hours a day 18 hours a day maybe that's okay because it's work I love and I'm passionate about it and I don't that's not sustainable I don't think I think that's maybe sustainable in a sprint but not as a like a, a career that's worth a lifetime where it's more like a marathon or an ultra marathon, I guess. Yeah. Um, Sarah, you've written on similar topics before the whole, like finding your passion idea. And, um, I guess you can almost relate it to, to whether or not like there's one right person for us out there in the world. Is there one right job for us out there in the world? No way. No way. Um, I think, I think this is such an interesting question, Corbett. And we could talk for, talk about this for like an hour or days or like multiple dinner conversations. But uh, I think, I think there's this like this fantasy that we can solve the question of what is life and what is life's purpose with a job. Like, it's like, if only I find the perfect job and I know what I'm here for and I know what I'm doing, I think those are really hard questions. Like, what am I here for? I don't know. Like, I don't know. This gets into religiosity and spirituality. What are we here for? What is the purpose of life and what are we doing? We could spend the rest of our lives talking about those questions, but that went way deep. So like when it comes a little back up to, do we have to love our work? Do we have to love our job? Is it possible to find a job that we love? I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Gilbert who talks about the shit sandwich. And she's like, anything you do is going to have a little bit of shit. 
that you have to deal with. Doesn't matter whether or not you're doing your favorite thing in the whole wide world. Um, there's always going to be some stuff that's like, well, can I handle this particular brand of shit sandwich? Like, am I comfortable? You know, I do the laundry. Do I like doing the laundry? No, but I like a clean bed, right? Um, and so I think you got to find the space where it's not about the stuff that you don't like. It's like, do, do you have something in your life that you enjoy? Like, is there something there? The next question is, does it make you money? I mean, that's a relevant question, but you can also live a life where you make some money doing something that you're perfectly fine doing, but it doesn't bring you ecstatic glee or joy. And then you also find something in your life that you really love. They don't, they don't have to be the same thing. Melissa, I, I know that you have um, become location independent uh, over the past several years. And um, how much do you feel like the way that you go about your job uh, or your career or building your business influences how you feel about it versus necessarily the substance of the job itself? So I, I, I feel like I'm one of those people who definitely is like, I love what I do. I can't shut it off no matter where I go. <laughs> it follows me everywhere. Um, I was just in, in Costa Rica and I wrote 60,000 words uh, in about eight days because I was just like so inspired about it. But I, I that's like a whole book. That's yeah. that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's I mean, amazing. And then a lot of it will never, ever be seen. Right. But that's like I went through a lot of pushes this this past quarter did a lot of things and I, you know, my writing slowed down because of it. So I felt like I had all this in me that I needed to, to get out. Um, and it's, I, I think about things differently as well, because I, I started in entrepreneurship later in life. I had a, a full life, children, husband, career, uh, very young in life. So now I'm on the other side of that. And I often say I'm living my second life. So I refuse <laughs> to make certain uh, sacrifices that other people feel like they have to make in order to make it. Um, and I, but I understand the psychology of what people are coming from as well. So literally before I got on the phone uh, or got on the call here, I was on the phone with my son who is 26 years old and really doesn't, have, doesn't feel like, what am I supposed to do? Like everyone knows like what they're doing. Uh, I always knew what I was going to do. So I'm not a good example for him, but I had the conversation that said, maybe what the thing that you're going to do isn't about your job. Maybe your job just allows you to do the things that you're going to do. You don't have to, like, doesn't have to be the thing. A hundred percent. You have to figure out like, okay, if this is the thing that I'm going to do and I want to wake up every day and love what I do, you know, how do I get those things together? And I think the shift of like loving what you do so much is the, the polar extreme of having people who just were literally dying of stress and, and tension and anxiety because they hated what they did so much. So then we went the opposite of that. And we said, Oh, no, 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 you have to really love it. You have to love it. Like, what happened to just being like, Hey, I went to work today. It was great. I'm done now. Uh, you know, that, that's not the, the popular thing to do anymore, but particularly the work that I do in helping people hire and find virtual assistants, um, you know, I see so many people who literally have everything that they're supposed to have and can enjoy it because they're working. They're like, how am I going to have a family? I, me, me and my mom want to have children, um, but I, I don't have time to be a good dad. Um, I wouldn't have time to be with my, my wife or my wife her career is very busy right now. I mean, it goes all the different directions. And then I, I've worked for a lot of people that I, you know, can't name and they have all these books and they have this persona of all the things that they do and how they're, you know, relaxed and chill and they're making passive income from everywhere in the world. And I'm like, oh, they're not. <laughs> they're not at all. They hire me. And they have, they're just too stressed out. But that's yeah, the dream that they're selling. We, we kind of have a, a few things working against us, especially as entrepreneurs. So first, there's this impossible standard that we all have to love what we do every day. Then there's we work for ourselves, and it's so easy to let your work just bleed into every area of your life. Yes. And then there's this public front that you have to put up as well to make everybody believe how easy and amazing it is. Mm. Paul, uh, do you find that... Um, 
everything eventually, Chase used to love to say this, everything just becomes a job eventually. Like no matter how much you love it to start out with, that eventually it just kind of becomes something that you have to show up and do no matter how you feel about it. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, a lot of us um, entrepreneurs, we have to do a lot of the jobs. Even if we hire a virtual assistant, there's still so many things we have to do that I might not like all of them, even with things that I really like. I don't like those things every day. Like I love writing. Writing's part of my my job. But some days I feel like, oh, why? I think I have to write about 5,000 words today and it's just not going to work out. And I think that it's tough. Like even I, I, my first, one of the first things I did for a living was something that a lot of people are like, oh, if I could just do this, it'd be awesome. I was a touring musician for about 10 years. And a lot of people are like, well, that seems like like a dream job. Like you're just doing what you love. And it's like, no, I'm either sitting in a little tour van, playing a show in a stinky bar or sleeping in some pretty gross place. And like, I haven't played music for about 10 years because I did that thing. And I was like, well, this, this just seems like a dream job. This just seems like something I'm super passionate about. I've always liked music. And then I did that thing and I ended up having to start an indie record label and do all of the... It's a lot like running the business I do now, except it was music instead of online stuff. I had to do all of the marketing and promotion, booking interviews and all of that. And I eventually disliked music. And I haven't, I haven't even found a, a joy for music again. And this is probably like, I haven't done that for about 10 years. So I think another side of that can be that if you just do that thing, like you said, and it becomes a job, then it, you might not like it. If I just kept playing music around a campfire, probably still be doing that and probably still be stoked on it. <laughs> Instead of turning it into something that you, that had all this baggage because you had to earn a living doing it and you had to grind and everything. Sarah, do you find yourself up against a wall once in a while with, um, not feeling like what you're doing is meaningful enough or. Totally. I mean, I was just nodding my head through so much of what Melissa and Paul were saying. I like it's, it's so interesting to watch yourself as like an employer and an employee at the same time. Sometimes I really crave having a boss and I work with business coaches for this reason because you're like, man, I don't feel like it. And you're like, wow, I suck as an employee. Like I suck as an employee. I have writing to do. I don't want to. I have writing to do. I don't want to. And you're like, it's hard. It's really hard to, um, I think there's almost a tilting too much towards this like authenticity, do what you like, do what you love, as though your feelings are the only way to navigate the world. And there's like, it's a really like interwoven issue here because like, yes, we should totally understand and tap into how we're feeling. And also sometimes you just have to get the work done regardless of how you're feeling. I've had so many days where I've woken up and I have a couple of assistants. I know we got to talk about that too. Um, But I, I have the flu and there's still a course that needs to go out and past Sarah self didn't finish building it. So current puking Sarah self has to finish it and no one else is going to do it. Right. Um, so it, like a big emphatic, yes, there's so many times when you just need to get the work done and figuring out how to do that and who you are as a person is really like, I think that's one of the bigger challenges of entrepreneurship is the mental game, the mindset understanding how you work and how you work best and figuring out really how you can be successful with with not just the business that you're trying to build or the market that you're trying to meet, but your mind that you're navigating throughout it all. Yeah. Whether you're an employee or running your own thing, what I found is the feelings that I had as an employee of those days where it's just not going your way and you just really don't feel like doing certain things that you know you're supposed to be doing. I have those as an entrepreneur in the same way. Even though I technically love what I do, you still totally. struggle with the same things because it's it's really a battle of of, you know, be, between the ears. Melissa, you mentioned earlier that you're one of those people that um actually really does love what you do for a living. And I think all three of us do. We're not saying that we don't, but sometimes it's this impossible standard. And, and even if we love what we do, sometimes we have those days where we're not loving it so much, Mm -hmm. but when you love what you do, do you find that it's, um, difficult to keep your career in check so that it doesn't consume all areas of your life? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate because I do have uh, children and they're grown now, but uh, you know, a children, family will quickly suck you back into like real life. But you know, the thing about, you know, doing what you love, the thing, you know, oh, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That is such garbage. Um, and more importantly, you may never work in your day in life, you know, but you may also never make money. Those things are not equally put together. I thought, because I loved what I did so much, that when I started my own company, I was just going to be rolling in the dough, right? And I, it, my first business, my first year in business was a joke. I didn't know how to make money. I knew how to be an employee. I knew how to go to work. I knew how to get a paycheck and then a clock in and clock out. Like, and I was just like, my mind was just hurting so bad because I'm like, how could I love what I do so much and not make any money at it? And it wasn't until uh, one of my brother's friends was talking about how he started this new business on the side. And I'm like, what? What do you, how do you do that? He's like, ah, oh, it's not a problem. And I'm like, okay. But then he was talking about it and he just, he just hated everything about it. He hated that business, but he's like, oh, I won't, it'll, it's just fat right now and be around for a few years and I'll make this much money and then I'll move on to the next thing. And I got really angry because I thought here is this guy that hates what he does and he's making a killing and I love what I do and I'm making nothing. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I had to really switch my brain around and say, okay, like, how am I? going to make this work. Like he's literally not getting out of bed unless someone meets his number and I'm getting out of bed for nothing and killing myself at the same time. Mm. Uh, so that was just a huge wake up call for me. And that really helped change, uh, my business. And, you know, of course I had to hire a coach, but you know, the, it's very hard because I can't, it can't turn it off as well. And I have to be very thoughtful about what I do and how I change and, and how I evolve and how, how I grow as a business owner. And one of my coaches, he, he told me that one of the biggest struggles is that we grow and we evolve as, as business owners and entrepreneurs, but the, the things that people pay us for remain the same. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, but I, I'm bored with that now. I want to do something else. But, yeah. you know, people don't always, you know, I'm like, but they need this. They need this. They don't, you know, like I'm telling them they need this, I, but you know, but people can I piggyback off of that for a second. Yeah. I, I always talk to people about how like it, play it out, see whether or not you're going to enjoy doing this 50 times, a hundred times, 150, a thousand. Like, what does it feel like? Cause I talk to a lot of people about creating public speaking careers. Mm -hmm. I'm like, sure. The first six times you give this talk, it's fun and it's new, but what do you feel like the 50th or the hundredth or the 200th time when people still want that talk and you're like bleeding between the eyes cause you're so bored of yourself. It's, it's a, Tough question. You think you might enjoy it for a long time. It might not be true. Yeah. And, his, and to Paul's example, point also just the, the, uh, the lifestyle as well yeah. in that. And yeah. my coach's example was, you know, could you imagine, you know, you go to a, a Barbra Streisand concert and you expect Barbra Streisand to sing certain songs. She doesn't sing That's those certain right. songs. Like people would be really, really upset. But could you imagine having to do that? Like, like, you know, so you just, there's so many different things about you know, doing what you love knowing that what you love is going to, you know, evolve and, and grow. And so do you really want that attachment to it as well? Like, what are you attaching yourself to when you say you love this thing? That's so right. So um, let's shift gears a little bit and uh, talk about how we get what we want from our careers, from our business, from our lives in general. Um, I, I think this is a nice kind of way to segue here because um, doing what you're passionate about is, I think, a way that people feel is a sure thing to get what you want. But Melissa just said, just because you're passionate about it doesn't mean that you get everything that you want. Yeah, sure, you're doing something you love, but is the lifestyle right? Am I making money? There are all these different things that need to come about. Sarah, I know that you give a talk about getting what you want, and part of it involves being able to ask for it in some mm -hmm. situations, especially if yeah. you're an employee, even if you're an entrepreneur, you need to ask like a sales letter or selling something as an ask in a way. But also you have to start out by knowing what you want. How do you, how do you arrive at getting a better picture, more clarity around knowing what you want to begin yeah. with? 
Yeah, so so I love this question, in part because this project, uh, I have a course now, uh, used to be called The Art of Asking, now it's called Get What You Want, um, arrived in kind of a meandering way. I did a big fundraiser, Corbett, I think you might remember it, we've talked about it before, but I raised a whole bunch of money for Charity Water, mm-hmm. and I had to ask like 500 people for money, which was super hard for me. And then afterwards, people asked me, like, how did you do that? Like, what did you do? So I consolidated everything into my, like, lessons learned. It turned into, over nine years, it turned into a talk and a course. And now I focus on helping people get what they want, not just ask for it, but get get it. And what I've noticed, and this relates a lot to the question we were just talking about, what I've noticed, though, is people either have a good idea of what they want or they don't know. And I think that's kind of the first step in figuring out, like, in your life, like, do I know what I want? You don't have to know, right? Like, if you don't know what you want, then congratulations, your assignment is to figure it out. Um, And then the second part is going after it, right? Like, these are the big endeavors of our lives, trying to figure out, like, who am I and what do I want? And then now do I have the gumption to go for it and to try everything I can, like, throw spaghetti at the wall to get what it is that I think I want? Maybe the third step is learning from it, right? But I think we go through that cycle over and over again. So in terms of the people who come to me and the people who I meet who are like, I have no idea what I want. I don't know what I want. I'm 26 years old, mom, let's talk. Like, ha, like, or Corbett, like I I wanna start a business but I don't know what it's gonna be. Where, like, what do you do? The first exercise that I freaking love is to pick something like, "Mm, I want a gym membership right? Think of something in your head that you kind of sort of maybe want. Maybe it's not the biggest thing in the world, but like pick something. I want more money. I want a new microphone. I want, Corbett, do you have an example? Mm, I want uh, to take a vacation soon. Yes. Melissa, do you have maybe an example of something in your life that you're willing to share that you want? I want to get back into shape. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, Paul, I'm coming to you. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't I'm one of those people that don't know. Like I'm I'm not good at thinking into the future about things that I want. I'm good at seeing what's in front of me as far as options and being like, okay, this this path that's presented to me right this second, that seems cool. Let's go this way and then and then kind of see. So I don't like there, I was thinking as you're at I'm like, you're gonna come to me, you're gonna go. <laughs> I have nothing. I honestly, I I don't, I don't have anything at this. You're like a try it and see kind of person. Yeah. Is there something on the horizon that you are in the middle of trying and seeing that you can share with us? Um, right now, soft, the software product that I'm working on that I just released a new version of, I would like to see that get to, um, enough revenue to support myself and my co-founder, but once I get there, I'll, I could change my mind and I could want something totally different but at the moment, at least in the present. That's what I'm focused on. Okay. So we have a, like, we have a want in there, which is like, I'd like to see this software thing support me and my co-founder. So I love to use the five whys exercise, which is, is you take about five minutes to go through and ask yourself, like, why is it like, why do I want this thing? Why do I want to be in better shape? What does that do for you? Why do I want to take a vacation? What does that do for me? And then why do I want this to support me and my co-founder? What does that do for me? And you turn this over a couple of times. And often people will come like, I really, you know, I want a divorce. I want to um, start a company. I want a, um, a gym membership. And then you start to peel it back and you find something deeper that's more universal that really speaks to you. And by finding that universal thing, you actually open up the possibilities for having more channels to get what you want, because there are more ways to solve for that. Are you following? Mm-hmm. All right. Did anything come yeah. up for either of you when? Getting, getting to the motivation behind yeah. the thing that you want. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, just to be frank, like I went through a bit of burnout um, this year and um realizing that I haven't taken time off may play into that, but also it's just a way to escape for a little bit, you know, planning to take a vacation. So it's not just about like, you know, I want to go travel and take a trip. It's about like, I need a little distance once in a while. I want a break or I don't want to work right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that may actually be the thing that you want, which can change the way that you show up in your day to day, because you may show up and say, Hey, I could launch a course right now. And you're like, wait a second. I don't want to work right now. Right. 
which can be super helpful because it allows you the freedom to say like, oh, oh, I don't need to add more work to my plate. I don't need to plan another vacation. I don't need to plan another trip. What I need to do is say no to making another course. Mm-hmm. Right. right. I, I, um, I'm curious, you mentioned there are like, you know, three different parts. And the first part was like figuring out what you want. And yeah. it sort of plays into the first topic about feeling like what we do for a living has to be our number one thing, our, our greatest yeah. love. Knowing what you want a lot of times I think makes people feel so much pressure and anxiety if they don't know what they want, right? Because if if you're told that we have to follow our passion and you don't have a passion or you're not sure what that is, it can make you feel defective in some way. Totally. So, so like Paul's approach, it sounds like is kind of go with the flow and see what opportunities there are, right? What else, what else do you coach people or what have any of you done before where you just feel like you're not really particularly passionate about something? Sarah? I actually want to jump on what Paul said. If you really don't know, like you didn't have a little tiny thing that came up. So the first test is like, are you sure that you don't know? Like, let's dig into your mental landscape. The second test is, or the second step is like, congratulations. You get to do lots of things and try and see. Like treat the next year of your life. (laughs) What? Like Paul, right? (laughs) Treat the next year of your life like an experiment and decide to do between 12 and 25 different things and see what the results are. Because a lot of times, like the, the, the fault in follow your passion is that it takes time to develop an affinity with something that you like, and you may not like it for the first two years. So you need to do it for long enough to see whether or not you like it in the first place. So never let not knowing cause inaction. Instead, use not knowing to try something and to get to stick with it long enough to get good quality feedback. Melissa, you, you mentioned your advice to your 26-year-old um, was something maybe along the lines of, well, if your career isn't your one thing, maybe there are other things in life that are your passion for a while. I've found that a lot of people who end up being successful in a career or in building a business, for a lot of them, it started maybe as a side passion or as a hobby or something that they dove into and got really good at. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? What, is, what sort of paths were you thinking about when you're giving that advice? Was it maybe that could turn into something or just sometimes you need to take your mind off of this pressure? Absolutely. There, there's a lot of things that go into it. I have a, I, I tell my friends that my son's one of those people, he's, he's just really good at things. Like he'll pick it up. If it has to do with people, if it has to do with talking, um, if, if it has to do with numbers, like he's just really good at all these things, as long as he's not in isolation, just don't isolate him and he'll do it. Like, um, but the problem with being good at all the things is you wonder, well, what do all these things have in common? What do I do? What if I get bored? Uh, what if this is no longer a thing later on? And I have a girlfriend who just is just so talented to just off the charts that she was searching for work for over a year. And I, I would joke and I say, well, you know, that's a good thing about being me. Like I'm an assistant. I've always been an assistant. I went to school to be an assistant. Like there's no, I, what I'm doing with my life is, is, is no problem. So I have it easy. Uh, it's much harder to, to figure out what it is that you're, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be doing with your life when you could do so many things. So the idea is if you can do so many things, then go ahead and do them. Go ahead and do them. You know, don't don't feel like you have to stop at a certain place. Um, I just read a book called Range. It's on the difference between being a generalist and a specialist. Um, I'm very much a, a specialist. But it was talking about all these famous people over time who were generalists and had all these really different careers, but we just know them for this one very specific thing. Mm. Um, so, you know, not just be okay with being, you know, quote unquote different. Um, if that's the thing that, you know, you're supposed to be doing. Um, but I did tell him as well, like, look, like people are so passionate about finding their passion now because before people hated their job so much and it was, they were horrible to deal with. And people, you know, the first thing they did when they came home was like get a drink because they just couldn't even stand it. And they would like cry on Sunday night because work was Monday morning. And, you know, there was this commute that they had to have. I mean, there's all these different things that go into it, but you know, if you, 
if it's something that you're looking for, then great. Start asking good questions, start finding help, start listening to podcasts, start reading books. Like if you want to know, there are ways to find out and, and go deeper. But if you put a timeline on it, now you're putting undue stress on yourself. And I love, I love just like not putting a time frame on it. It's not just for entrepreneurs. Um, it's not just for people that, you know, had this big idea that they had to put out into the world. Um, life can start at any, life can start at any time. Um, it's always happening. It's just when you like, feel like you've woken up to it that we call it, you know, we we're starting, but it's, as long as you put a timeline on it, then you can release the stress and just find the thing and explore all the things that you want that you want to do because the downside of that is then, you know, you're me. <laughs> Sometimes and you're like, Oh no, we have a deadline. We have a plan. We have a plan. A, we have a plan B. We have a plan C. Like we're good to go all the time. I, yeah. <laughs> I've, I, uh, I love what Liz Gilbert said about this. Um, she says, instead of following your passion, you should follow your curiosity mm -hmm. if you don't know what your passion is yeah. and just, just see where that takes you. Hey, before we keep going, here's a quick message from Gusto. Small business owners wear a lot of hats. And while some hats are great, others like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, they're not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes, so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Oh, and you can get direct access to certified HR experts, too. Sounds like a pretty good way to kick off 2020 for your business, right? But here's the thing. Deadlines for the new year, they creep up earlier than you think, and you're going to want to get started now. So don't wait. Let Gusto make it easier on you. As a bonus, listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. So try a demo and see for yourself over at gusto.com slash fizzle. That's gusto.com slash fizzle. Sarah, what's the next step? So you know what you're after. How do we get that yeah. thing in a nutshell? Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is where I, I like dig into strategies and um, I'm actually like reviewing the course in my head right now. As we're on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I go through strat like big picture strategies and then specific scenarios. And the big picture strategies are all about um, how you connect to other people because so much of what we want in the world comes through our connections to other people. I think there's a misnomer that like if you just work hard enough and you put your head down and you stay at your desk and you do more, you'll get more. Um, I, I don't know. Wealth to me is about the quality of relationships that we have. And when you spend time developing relationships and helping other people and receiving help, which is really hard to do, most people don't allow themselves to receive help. Um, then you can, the like doors just fly open for you. Um, obviously, I'm going to add like huge caveats of privilege, right? Like we don't live in an equal opportunity world and we don't all have access to the same levels of connections. However, you can, we all can work on our mindset. And the, uh, the one that I'll share today that I think is so incredibly profound and I wonder what people listening do with it is receiving help. I've had so many people, you're like in a coffee shop, you run into a friend, somebody says, oh, do you need any help? Or like, can I pick that up for you? Or um, let me grab the door for you. Or what are you working on? Or do you have everything you need? Like lots of teeny tiny conversational clues and cues people will and are offering help. And I made it a challenge of mine when I was having my babies that I would say yes to every single one, no matter how awkward it felt, no matter how uncomfortable I was. And so somebody said, hey, can we bring you dinner? And instead of being like, no, no, we're good. We're fine. I would say, eh, yeah, sure. Uh, Friday? Like, yeah, actually, yeah. Like it can be just burritos. Like you can get Taco Bell. That's fine. Right. Like, I, <laughs> but I would have to say yes. And the most fascinating observation is that some of my best friendships have come from allowing other people to help me mm. and to be in my life. And so softening that edge of like, I can do everything myself. I like, I like what I get is directly correlated to the amount of work I put into the world. And instead being in a place of like, 
softer, open, more receiving, more allowing of the generosity of other people in our lives is transformative. So those are the types of strategies I talk through. Some of them are more nuts and bolts and some of them are like, be like a flower and open up to receiving. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. But like everything in life, you never know where the answer is going to come from. Sometimes it's from some woo-woo sort of approach and other times it's from something a little more Right, tactical. but people are literally saying the words. Like like sometimes Corbett, you, like you and I will write an email back and forth. You're like, anything I can help with or right. want to be an affiliate? And right. it's like, I have to say yes to your message for yes. it to work. Yes. And if I say no to all the messages, then I've shut so many doors. The the crazy thing about this is not only do we have to maybe accept, accept help in our lives, but as entrepreneurs, we often set ourselves up for being able to hire people to help. And yet we don't know what to give people or we feel like we have to do it all ourselves. Mm -hmm. So Melissa, this is a perfect time to transition into your world. Mm -hmm. You're the founder of the Association of Virtual Assistants. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You have, it sounds like spent your entire career as an assistant. You coach people on how to um, use virtual assistants effectively. Yeah. I know that Sarah and Paul and I have all used assistance of various kinds in the past, but I think we all, as we were talking before we started recording, feel like there's more that we could be doing there. So for people like us, like what are we missing when it comes to virtual assistance? What are we missing in terms of where we could be getting help? So I think the biggest place to start is what is going to have the most immediate impact? So we often think about this, this real long-term project that we're going to have, you know, where it's, we're going to release this course, it's 90 days, we're going to do a book launch, we're going to have this new uh, speaking career. We think very, very long-term, right? We want to have, because we think that's going to have, you know, the, the greatest impact, but what we want is the most immediate impact. We don't, can't drown a little bit every day just to have like a few breaths of air, you know, when we come up, uh, out of the water. We need to like have more time every single day. So what is that? Is that just someone being able to respond to emails? Is it someone being able to create an FAQ for you? If, is it someone creating that ebook for all the thousands of questions that people constantly are asking you? Um, do you just need someone to go in once a week and do your transcription and put the show notes up on, on a podcast? You know, all the things that were like, ah, but it doesn't take me that much time. Uh, you know, it doesn't do this. Uh, it, it, those are all things that add up every single day. And what I like to, you know, figure out is like, this is your, your time budget, right? So in any time you go through, um, a setback in your finances, what is the first thing everyone tells you to do? Stop. Stop buying coffee out, stop eating lunch out, start, you know, and those your, your big savings come from that. They don't say sell your house, like get rid of the big ticket items. They say, start with the little things because all that adds up over time. So it's the same thing. You may hire a virtual assistant and the average person hires a VA for five to 10 hours a week, 10 being on the high side. But the, the key to that is to know, okay, if I'm going to get back an hour of my day, where am I going to spend that hour? It's a time budget. So if you don't know where you're going to use it, then it'll just go away, you know, like a regular money budget. If you don't know where your money's going, it'll just go. <laughs> but if you tell it where to go, it's going to go to savings. It's going to go to sleep. It's going to be the time with my family. That's the specific amount of time I'm going to write. That is a specific amount of time where I'm going to eat lunch away from my laptop, whatever that looks like. And then now that you've got this new rhythm down, you have this new pace down, you have this new feeling, you're like, wow. What else can this person do? <laughs> and you start to have a conversation with them. You know, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. Uh, you could hire, you know, Paul had said he has, you know, several people that he can contact to do work. I have several VAs. I don't use them all at the same time, but they're there. And so thinking about VAs like insurance um, for when you do get sick or when you do have something that needs to go out and when you do have this last minute project, you need a quick landing page up for something. You know, you have someone who you can call and get right on it for you. You don't run into these, oh, well, now I'm going to be up all night doing this. Oh, now I have to miss this event because I got to get this out before, you know, the morning. Um, this is all where a VA comes into place. And I like to say, you know, if you, if you have a need, you know, there's a, there's a VA that can do it. Um, I myself, when I take on personal clients, a lot of their needs are very personal to their families. I've moved people from San Francisco to Hawaii when I was in Morocco. 
Um, <laughs> there's just, you know, I, I come across really cool stuff that VAs are doing all the time. It just is what is going to be most impactful for you. Uh, what's going to be most immediately impactful. You want to get the weight lifted. You want to get that burden lifted and you want to know, okay, if I'm going to spend this much time because I have this much time now that I'm freed up, what does that look like? And I think that's where most people, you know, get it wrong because they're, we, they read in some magazine article, well, I hired a VA for these, you know, three things that, you know, people were supposed to do for me, but I'm not really feeling like, like, I don't know if it was a good use of my time. I don't know if it was a good use of my money. Um, and that's because those things are great. They're things that someone can do for you. Um, I think a lot of people think of email management, uh, appointment calendar scheduling, um, travel expenses, social media. But a lot of times when you're first starting out, it's also the projects. Have someone set your up, set up your calendar to function properly so that you're not scheduling calendar meetings back and forth. The number of clients that I meet that still don't have a calendar tool, even though they're free, is off the charts. And the number of meetings that they're like wasting time scheduling, if you hired a VA just to do that, I mean, you would save so much future time. Paul, uh, like a lot of us, like, well, Sarah and I as well, and Melissa as well, we do, we we do a lot of stuff, podcasting, blogging, writing books, creating courses. There's just so much. What have you found has been really helpful to outsource? Um, and then what do you feel like you do on a regular basis? Because like Melissa said, oh, it's just going to take me a little bit. This is no big deal. I, so you just end up doing it yourself, even though you probably know in the back of your head, you should let somebody else do that. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's the the things that I hire a, a freelancer for a virtual assistant, whatever the word is you want to use is things that I'm not good at and things I don't want to be good at. So things I'm not good at are copy editing. I might write for a living, but doing the technical English stuff, I can't proofread my own stuff. It's awful. No one can proofread their own stuff. <laughs> I, I, know one, I know one person who can, and she is a beast. But I can't do that. And things like podcast ed audio editing, I know how to do that. I don't want to be I don't want to be good at podcast editing because I have other things that I would rather be doing, other things that I feel I can provide value for. So I think that, yeah, for me, it, it, I kind of think about that and I kind of think about, okay, what tasks can I take off my plate and give to somebody else that will give me more peace and freedom in my business while still generating profit? And what things should I do in my business that could potentially be offloaded, but don't make sense. I got an email from somebody uh, last week saying, because I talked about how I spend probably 50 minutes a day doing technical support for the products that I have. And they're like, I can't believe you don't just hire somebody on Fiverr to do that. And I'm like, I can't believe that I, that I would imagine doing something like that because that's one of my biggest sales funnel is people asking questions yeah. about my products. Two, it's the way that I connect directly with my customers so I can see what they're working on, what they're struggling with. And three, it's my product roadmap. Like my customer support queue directly correlates to the roadmap that I have for future development. So yeah, I could offload that to somebody, but for myself, it takes a couple minutes a day. But for me, that's really helpful. Whereas the other things that I do give to other people to do, it, it doesn't provide that for me or for my business or for my bottom line. So I happily, I don't care that I work for myself. I don't really want to work by myself. And I think another point that Melissa made was sometimes it's helpful if you're accountable to somebody else, even if it's the person that added stuff to your calendar. When I'm working with a partner or when I'm working with an assistant, I feel like if they've added something to my calendar, if they've done something like, oh, this has to be done by this date, I'm like, hell yeah, that has to be done by this date. This person is counting on me now. So I think that that's tremendously helpful, even if that's just a, a mindset thing. I think it's really helpful. Yeah. I think it's important Sarah, to know, like the ahead. assistant might not even be, you know, a quote unquote virtual assistant. Assistant could just be other help that you need. So it's especially for, you know, those who, you know, maybe identify as, as, as mompreneurs or work from home. What if you paid someone to come in and clean your house? or you had a, a nanny, or you had a ride share for not picking up the kids, or you had someone, or your meals delivered. You know, all these things, you're supposed to do it all. It, it, no, like you, all those things, if that, if someone else coming in and cleaning your home so that you don't have to do it on the weekends and you can like save time that way, that's a, 
it's a really great way <laughs> to hire someone and not think about it. It doesn't have to be all uh, business related, but when you're thinking about, oh, on the weekend, and then you're thinking about like the 10 lo loads of laundry you have to do, and you're like, oh, now's the, I'm like steam cleaning the bathrooms and the kitchen needs to be clean and the you know, pantry, whatever, pick up your groceries, anything uh, that could make your life easier, like put that in for yourself. Yeah. I think the next question that people have is, um, where do I find people, right? Mm -hmm. Sarah, where have you found people that you've hired to help you with various things? Oh, that's so interesting. So I have, I have what I, I jokingly call the equivalent of one full-time person, um, but it's like four or five or six people that support me in my business. And they're all uh, flex. Like, I don't think anyone works more than about 10 or 12 hours a month. But then collectively, mm -hmm. like sometimes it's, uh, it ends up being like, I feel like I have one support person. Um, I, I have had luck. It, de it depends on the task. Like first get really specific on the, on the thing that you want help with. And I loved what Melissa said about like, where can you find the most free time? Because for me right now, probably the biggest blockers are meal planning for my two small ones, my husband and myself, grocery shopping and, um, picking the kids up from school. And it was like a, a light bulb moment when I realized that me commuting to the school and back from the school took me like sometimes an hour and a half to two hours at the end of the day. Um, just New York City subways, 4 p.m., 5 p.m. traffic, plus like getting two children into a stroller and then like cajoling them to come with me, things like that take a while. Um, but having one of the teachers at the school bring them home took them like half an hour. So Paying for that half an hour of time, I pay for an hour's worth of time, saved me two hours of my own. It was probably the most cost-effective use of getting 10 hours back during the week. Um, and it has nothing to do with quote-unquote work. So super useful. Um, and then meals too. It's like, it's so funny. I'm like, I'll make my own food. I'll make my own food. I'll make my own food. And then I order something and I'm like, you know, if you had just gotten like a fresh direct pre-made salad or like a freshly like $10 meal, you would actually be saving more money than last minute purchasing something out. Anyways, New York City's expensive. So where do you find them? Once you get really specific, you're not going to find a babysitter on Fiverr. You're going to find a babysitter on care.com. You're going to find task-based things on um, Upwork, Fiverr, virtual assistantships. I use Zirtual. Um, and then I think the next awesome place is if you are in the business of building community, which I am, I have a whole community around Startup Pregnant, that's a place where you can start to recruit and find talent. And that's where I found some of my assistant coaches, some of my content copywriters. Um, I wrote a list because I can't remember things because I have small children. Um, I have a technical assistant who helps me with publisher. And then, oh, I also have a podcast service because I don't do the podcast editing myself. You would look for somebody who specializes in podcast editing, not going on Upwork. So, so get clear about what it is that you want and then ask your friends, where do you find someone like this? Or ask the internet or ask Google, like, where do I find someone like this? And then start there. Melissa, is there some sort of um, specific difference between what we would call a virtual assistant versus somebody that we would call a freelancer or service provider, or is that just, uh, they're just different names for the same thing? So it, it really is how about how people identify and uh, a virtual assistant may identify as a freelancer, but a freelancer uh, does not often identify as a virtual assistant. Um, and really the definition of a virtual assistant is someone who gets joy out of serving others and can anticipate your needs. So when you think about uh, AI, for example, you know, which can often be confused with human virtual assistants, what's the number one thing that people like about AI? It anticipates your needs. It knows what you like. Here, you bought this. What like this? Do you want me to set this up automatically for you? How could I make this easier for you? Um, here, let me save all your information so you don't have to do this anymore. How can I um, create a system for you? What if you saw this new little thing that I'm doing for you? Those are all things that human assistants do as well. So there's a difference between a true virtual assistant and what we would call a, a task taker. Because that's, that's great because I think one of the struggles that, that I've had and that I know other entrepreneurs have is once you've hired someone feeling like coming up with things for that person to do is more work than just doing the things yes. in the first place. Mm -hmm. So somebody that could anticipate your needs, that would be great. Yes. So I, I tell people all the time, like delegation is work. <laughs> It's not fun for anybody. And as an assistant, it's our job 
to understand what's going to come down the road. Like, let's, let's plan this out. Let's anticipate your needs. And whether that's, oh, you're going to be doing this trip. So um, let's see, let's go ahead and plan out the hotel, the travel, the speaking, the liaison, uh, your tutorials, your pamphlets, whatever it is that you need. Let's get like all that logistics down, the business stuff out of it. But then think about, okay, what about your personal needs, your family needs? Is this an opportunity to network? Do you want to make this into a long trip? Um, are we going to do your out of office? Are we going to like, how are we going to plan this? Are we going to like post it on social media? Are we going to think about how we're going to repurpose this content later? Do we have your next Monday and Tuesday off so you can regroup when you get back into the office and think about, okay, we don't have to say anything. We're just going to repurpose this content already. How are we going to do your follow-up from that conference or an event? I mean, thinking about all these needs rather than like coming back and just being overwhelmed, those are things for an assistant um, for maybe that kind of uh, speaker. But if let's just say... Um, someone's trying to assist me and they're my assistant that does my yearly gifts. Well, they're going to start contacting me in August and we're going to start putting a plan together because I like my gifts to go out in November. And then we're going to start planning it that way. But she's anticipating that I'm going to do this because I do it every year and I still don't have to contact her <laughs> and think about, Oh, remember me? I contacted you last year. It's time for gifts again. Um, that sort of thing. So whether on a large scale or, or big scale, it's about, you know, how can I do that? I mean, we all love it. Like the holidays are coming around, like pre-order your pies, pre-order your dinner, get your cards. Love it. Thank you, Melissa, so much for being here today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarah Peck as well for being here. Oh, so much fun. Thanks, Corbett. And Paul Jarvis as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. You can find more from Melissa Smith over at associationofvas.com. You can find Paul Jarvis at pjrvs.com. And you can find more from Sarah Peck over at sarahkpeck.com. As always, you can find links to everything we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co. This was episode 352. I'm Corbett Barr. And until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show. Fizzle Show.